Uh, we're continuing on our Operation Reconciliation uh, series, Becoming Effective Fishers of Men to Bear Fruit That Remains, Incorporating Productive Strategies of Evangelism into the Daily Life of the Church. And just like I said last week, uh, I know I'm going to talk a little bit before we even get started on the outline, because uh, I probably didn't lay good enough of a foundation at the beginning, um, or maybe I didn't make it as clear in the first outline of why we're studying this and why we're going, uh, like why we haven't even gotten to the gospel yet, right? Uh, so uh, we're not there yet, but we've got, including this week, we got this week and two more weeks before finals week. And I'm thinking uh, the week after finals week, we're going to take a week off uh, from Bible study because no one's going to show up on finals week. And then uh, the week after that, we'll pick it back up either at the condo or at the church Either one is acceptable. Um, and then we'll get into the actual gospel presentations of things we should be talking about when we go out and share the gospel. So, uh, which means we've spent, I can't, I didn't add them up, but I'm thinking it's 10 to 11 weeks total on things that aren't even pertaining to how we go out. So why aren't we just laying a foundation of let's get out and go? So this is like an open discussion thing. This, is a, this isn't, uh, you know, just rhetoric. Uh, I do want, you know, an answer. So why aren't we just preparing people, getting schedules together to go out and share the gospel? We don't want to misrepresent the gospel. Okay. But we haven't even talked about, so why haven't we even talked about the gospel yet? Perhaps because the gospel must be poured in us first. Yes, that's true. That we must become the gospel uh, to one degree or another before we go out and share the gospel. That's true. There is a method, not to my madness, but to <laughs> Christ's madness. I don't know if that's blasphemy or not. Christ's madness. Like, we're talking about prayer. We've talked about why we need to study patterns. We've talked about, talk about, we talked about the pattern for uh, incorporated in several weeks. This is our fourth week on prayer. Is that right? This will be our third or fourth week on prayer. Uh, third week. Um, and then next week, we're going to talk about the power of speaking the word of God. So that's like probably the closest we'll get. That is the closest we'll get to talking about the gospel is the power of speaking the word of God before the semester is over. So why are we laying such a huge foundation on patterns, prayers, and like not just like equipping people to go out and evangelize and share the gospel? Yeah, we need to know the gospel, but we haven't talked about that. that yeah, we need to become the gospel. But why is preparation such a huge key? That's the biblical pattern. The way modern evangelical Christianity has been doing it, which is just having to allow, isn't working. Yeah. Well, so what's not working? Like, I guess bring out a couple things of what's not working. Um, like it's shallow, so born. You know, you got to keep people at the standard and bring them up to. Am I the one that really hasn't worked? Yeah, it's we look at even I think pragmatism is true to some degree, of you know responding to your circumstances. Like we see that this has worked in the past, let's do it. To some degree, uh, there's truth behind that mindset of like you know when we talked about the church growth movement, it's not working. It's not producing disciples of Christ to go out and build Christ's fruit that remains for multiple multiple generations. Uh, just in the West, in the you know quote, enlightened areas, 
of first world uh, societies is we're not even like passing down the generation to our children. I talk to people all the time who have grown up, myself included, like I am a product of this culture, of the ideas that uh, because like I never had a conversation, this isn't to like denigrate my parents or their upbringing, I love them very much and I, uh, you know, I'd say they did a pretty good job, but others would say not. <laughs> uh, but I also might be really deceived. But uh, they tried their best and they did everything that they could. Um, but yet I never had like, I've got two Bible-believing parents who love me very much, but never sat down and ever had a conversation about the gospel or Christ. Never once read the Bible to me, never once like, you know, it was all the church's problem, so to speak. <laughs> uh, you know, and I probably would have rebelled against it anyways. <laughs> so who knows how effective that would have been. Um, you know, but we live in a culture where we're not even having the high ideas and standards of, as Jude uh, it's like Jude one three says, earnestly contend once and for all that the faith that was passed down to us, or is it? I can't remember if it's first. It's First Timothy two, two two that says, you know, what have you've seen in me, uh, preached to others and find faithful men to pass it down. You know, it's, there's five generations there from Christ to the apostles to Peter to faithful men to others, uh, of like, and that's just one very small aspect, very intricate but very small idea. And we are failing because we don't hold God's authority and his word to a high standard. Uh, we don't find that, a, we don't even hold that to a standard. Uh, and we're more and more pragmatic in how do we respond to a problem in the humanistic ways of ideas from our culture uh, than it is like looking at, uh, you know, why we name it effective treasures of men to bear fruit that remains. I hope that what we do here uh, really does like start being incorporated into the life of our fellowship to be effective in evangelism, to bear fruit that remains for generations. I think uh, that what the Lord has in store, because I know this through scripture, uh, and it can be, I think, rightfully applied to any time period, including the present, is that he wants us to go out and evangelize to people of different, not just worldviews, of atheist, Muslims, Hindus, humanists, whatever, uh, but also different social economic status, different races, to completely change their destiny, so to speak, uh, for the rest of their life that will change the rest of uh, their children's destinies, who they marry, who they associate with, where they live, what kind of jobs they have, and the entire pur purpose for the rest of their life. So that's why like, I think Daniel hit it on the head when he said, you know, and comparing it to today's, like, let's just get out and go. We're not going to just get out and go because Christ didn't just, like, get out and go. He did say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, but it's pretty clear he doesn't even send them out uh, for a while. He does send, a, a, you know, the 12 out ahead of them into cities and small areas to be faithful and then sends the 72 out. But it's really not until his ascension, until they've been uh, uh, filled with the Spirit, that they really actually fulfill everything that Christ was talking about as far as like, you know, being witnesses in Judea, Samaria, starting in Jerusalem, Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the ends of the earth, right? He only went into uh, the area surrounding Jerusalem, uh, a little bit into Samaria, uh, but, you know, so 
so when Daniel said the shallowness of our culture, like what we want to do, and I don't know if this is necessarily like, this is part of like just our sin, uh, our own fleshly nature and the world systems and maybe part of the kingdom of darkness. I don't know. I haven't thought about it that much. I like just wanting to get out there and, and do something and, uh, but not, and it being shallow and not taking the time of the depth to go as deep as you can go, to go as far as you can go in Christ, to find out, you know, the pattern and implement that, opposed to, I just want to go out and share the gospel and do good works. Do you have something, John Luke? It's pretty much like the seat that fell among the rocks with Yeah, yeah, part of it's that. That was the one analogy I was going to bring up. I'm glad you did. Uh, of, you know, in Matthew 13, Luke 8, and Mark 4, the parable of the four uh, soils that get sowed on, uh, the fourth one it says because the, the word of what produces fruit, biblical fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold, is when the word of God goes in the hearts of men deep, it says, specifically in Luke, I think, uh, and maybe, maybe it says that in Matthew, but either way, that goes deep, and then it produces a fruit. So for Paul, in his ministry, it took about 14 years. Although he did go out and evangelize the that weekend. <laughs> he didn't really fulfill and come into his calling and what God was planning. He did that in faithful little measures. Even, you know, the, uh, I'm assuming the same week that he got healed from Ananias and uh, got let out through the wall in Damascus is uh, probably not that long, uh, but I can't remember if this is in Acts um, or if this is in his, well, it's in Acts either way. Uh, if it's this in his first account in Acts 8 or if it's in Acts 23 or 26 or something when he recounts. But he goes out and instantly preaches uh, uh, to the Jews in the synagogue, uh, which is within at least a couple weeks, I think. Uh, somebody can fact check that if they want. But, you know, he's out preaching, doing what he should be doing, but he doesn't really come in and get sent out by the Holy Spirit and by the church until 14 years later. And his effectiveness is much higher after that, <laughs> right? So uh, I just wanted to point that out again, uh, not just to make like a redundant joke of we're not going to talk about the gospel today, <laughs> or we're not going to talk about like gospel present. We're going to talk about the gospel. <laughs> we're never going to talk about the gospel. We're not going to talk about gospel presentations today. Uh, so because, and I'll just say this because we're going to, so uh I'll say it now, but we'll do it more at the end so we can just keep this on the recording, is uh, we're going to make sure everyone has a Bible scripture memorization sheet by the end of the night. Uh, if you don't have one because you didn't receive one or you lost it or you didn't think it was important and you threw it away or you're not organized and you didn't keep it, I've got more. That's okay. Uh, <coughs> next week, we're going to talk about the power of speaking the words of Christ or of speaking in uh, scripture, You know, which is why we pass out those Bible memorization sheets uh, with, what do we say, Austin, 45? 45. 45 verses, which is just like a really small list to get people started. You could uh, go off of those ideas, and you don't have to memorize those, but uh, memorize you know other things on the character of God, the depths of man's depravity, calling to evangelism, uh, stuff like that. So uh, next week we're going to talk about that, and then the week after that, which would be the last week, we're going to meet in the semester before the week before finals week. 
uh, we're just gonna we we probably we might record it we might might not of just practical ways to help in memorization in scripture and how to memorize and how to get on a pattern or plan uh, and pattern of regularly memorizing scripture. And I'll just throw this out here so I remember it and someone else can quote me on it. There's a book by Philip Kaiser that if you want to read, it's a really short ebook. It's like 14 pages uh, about like why you should memorize whole books of the Bible, entire books of the Bible that like includes Matthew <laughs> and things like that, like Genesis, uh, uh, why you should and how you can. He does a really good job. I started on that and I remembered a chapter and a half of Colossians. And that's as far as I got. <laughs> I should have started in Third John. <laughs> His name is Philip Kaiser. Uh, it's biblicalblueprints.org, and then it's you can leave through. He's got several free eBooks. Uh, very good uh, tool to use. But today we're talking about uh, seven keys to effective prayer. So last week we talked about the five to seven kinds of prayer or types of prayer uh, or how to pray. Uh, and what to pray for. And now we're going to talk about uh, how to do effective prayer. So um, just to reiterate, you know, our opening statements were corporate prayer was necessary, a necessary prerequisite for visitation and effective evangelism. And corporate prayer is the catalyst or necessary catalyst to visitation and effective ev evangelism. Um, so, oh, I had it on here, but I actually didn't. There's a thing that says Spurgeon quote number three on the outline. Uh, I meant to implement that. You know, Charles Spurgeon has a famous quote that says, if he knew he had 25 years left of life, he would spend 20 years preparing. So Charles Spurgeon said it. It's got to be true. It's got to mean something. Uh, so... <laughs> um, and then Operation Reconciliation is designed for a praying church. Um, and then, you know, just the toughest uh, corporate lifestyles and characteristics to build into today is study prayer and proclamation. And we're kind of trying to incorporate all of that into this program, Operation Reconciliation, of deeper study, uh, deeper prayer, and uh, proclamation evangelism. So... Uh, just to review the last two weeks, we should our three ministries are our ministries to God, our ministries uh, to the, the church, you know, first uh, local, then universal, um, and then our ministry to the lost, and we should be praying accordingly. You know, we looked at the types of prayer, praise, worship, exaltation was number one, uh, or was number two after reading scripture. Um, and then what should we pray and the priorities in prayer? We talked about humility and holiness. Advancing the kingdom, the right teams, materials, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, that the word would speed ahead, all that. And last week we looked at uh, the types of prayer as reading scripture, worship, petitions or supplications with thanksgiving, spiritual warfare, which uh, included the imprecatory uh, prayers, and intercession. Um, so I did uh, pass out an outline, not an outline, but an article by Ray Sutton, uh, He's a pretty famous uh, Episcopalian um, who is, if anybody knows anything about different movements from the 80s, he was one of the main guys in the Tyler, Texas movement where we kind of get the ideas of what uh, uh, a lot of guys like Joel McDermott, um, 
Peter Lightheart, James Jordan, uh, Douglas Wilson. A lot of those guys come out of the same type of movement, and Ray Sutton was one of those. Uh, and this article, Imprecatory Prayer, Enforcing the Covenant of God, is a really good one I found. So read that and start enforcing the covenants of God through prayer. So as tonight we're going to look at uh, effective prayer. Uh, so I'm going to read this. I'm going to read James 5. Uh, 16b through 18, and then I'm going to explain one problem of uh, as you start studying Scripture more and going into the Greek. <laughs> uh, it's a personal problem. Um, so James 5, 16 to 18, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Now he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Uh, so effective does mean results. Effective means, like, when we're talking about, like, effective evangelism, I don't want to go out and waste my time. So uh, this is something I remember doing in two years ago, two summers ago, when I did this uh, kind of series before of, like, uh, like, we want effective prayer, right? We want our prayers to be effective, as in I don't want to waste my time. And you certainly could be wasting your time. So here's the problem. As I was like doing the Greek, I was like, well, I want to know what like the Greek word for effective prayer is. And I was like, well, it should mean like producing results. But uh, if you look in the King James and most other translations, uh, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person can accomplish. It means like the working. Like that doesn't necessarily mean like uh, if you pray 100 prayers, 90 of them have been answered, and that's pretty effective. Right? That's not what it actually means in the Greek and what it's like the working of your prayers uh, from a righteous man can accomplish much. Uh, which is, I'm like, oh man, I've been preaching the whole thing wrong about like, like you could totally be wasting your time and it's not effective. But it's still true, but not based, I'm just not going to use this scripture to bring that out. Right? So when we pray according to the will of God, we know that God hears and we have our, and he hears our prayers and he answers them, right? That's effective. So the principle is still true. Just the problem is when you start researching the Greek and it could change your mind on things and bring you deeper insight, but then uh, may not be able to use the same verses to make the same points. But anyways, I digress. Uh, so it is totally true that, uh, you know, I even brought out the last five or whatever weeks, last 15 weeks we've been talking about prayer or whatever, uh, is that, like, I don't want to waste my time praying I don't want to pray for things that like isn't in the will of God, uh, that that God isn't going to honor, right? Because then I'm literally just wasting my breath, I'm wasting my life, I'm wasting my time and energy and efforts, and I'm in some degree of unreality, right? We can at least all agree on that. I hope. Uh, and if you don't agree with me, you can. God will show you. You can pray, and God will show you. <laughs> Quasi quoting Ephesians 3, where if you don't understand these things, God will show you. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, to look at, you know, so kind of use this uh, to go back and look at as we talk about uh, effective prayer and keys to effective prayer, kind of go back and look at, you know, the seven ways we pray and how to pray effectively. Like, so if you try to bring a covenant uh, lawsuit against, uh, uh, against people for cutting you off and driving and you're rooted in road rage, you might be wasting your time. <laughs> right? Uh, 
I say might. <laughs> right? So, um, this is normally, we normally take two weeks to go through all seven, but I'm going to try to squeeze it out uh, in, in one week, which I think we can do, because I only took 25 minutes to get to the first point. Which is pretty good. Um, so that first point is simply just like praying uh, according to the will of God, right? People, I guess most people are just like, duh, Stephen, that makes sense. <laughs> God's like, you're not going to, just thinking about it logically and knowing something about the character of God, uh, even a little bit, uh, you know, we don't twist God's arm in prayer, right? A lot of us think we can, and that's the kind of attitudes we take of like, you know, uh, well, if I say it in Jesus' name, then he has to do it because that's what the Bible says, right? If you pray anything in my name, and I said in the name of Jesus, <laughs> then, then that makes sense, right? Uh, no, but, uh, you know, just thinking logically, like, oh, yeah, if we do a prayer according to the will of God, we know that, uh, that he's going to honor that, right? Because it's his will. Why would he not want to honor his will? It's his will, right? So we're not attempting to... Uh, have God bless our plans. Um, so definitely thinking back to the first one we listed last week on uh, types of prayers, like reading scripture, like how do we know the will of God? The Bible. The Bible, right? You got, I mean, this is something you should actually, like if you start meeting with people, so the goal is we go and evangelize is not to get people to say a sinner's prayer, but to uh, get meetings, follow-up meetings, uh, get them to show up to a meeting or something so that we could actually talk to them about the gospel, you know, because in today's culture, no one's going to get converted, you know, overnight. Uh, no one's going to, like, come to a radical lifestyle change of Christ, mostly unless the Lord's done a lot of back work in them through various people or something. I guess it's plausible. But we're just trying to get a meeting to talk with them, you know, about the gospel and, and help them understand it uh, and really know it deeper, right? Uh, so, uh, sorry, I kind of lost track of it. Like, I got off topic again and like wondering where the heck I was going with that. But, you know, we're not getting uh, God to like bless our plans as we go out of what we're doing. We have to know and be rooted in Scripture of what His plans. Oh, and what I was thinking is that you'd actually be surprised when you start meeting with people and you ask them, how can we know the will of God? And I don't think it's a majority of people that I've personally met with, and obviously this is just through my experience, of have ever like actually been said, oh, by the Bible or by Scripture. Like, not even half. I wouldn't even say anywhere close to a majority. Most of the time it's, well, you know, through prayer and, uh, or the church or something. It's like, you know, God will reveal those things to you. He'll put them in your heart. Uh, and it's like almost never rooted in I can know God's definite will and plan because I read it in the Bible, and that's how I can know things, uh, which is very scary, which is why, I mean, if you don't come to it, like, it's hard to tell if, like, you're actually converted or not unless you can admit and know that. That's a very, like, scary thing to not know because uh, then you're out there in a relativistic, humanistic society where anything is real, right? So pray according to the will of God. Um, Let's go this way, and you can just read. So I didn't, uh, in order to fit all of these, because this was, was two lessons. Uh, whose phone keeps going off? Can we? Uh, How do we shut it off? I don't know. Maybe, uh, is that your, maybe John Luke can help you with that. Yeah.
I thought it was an alarm going on outside or something. I was like, what is that? Uh, no big deal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so I condensed this down into from two outlines into one outline. So some of the verses are listed and some of them are paraphrased. Uh, so we'll probably have to look them up is all I'm saying. But I think this one's just on the page. Uh, so let's go to my left. Teresa, you want to read that First John 4 or 514? This is the confidence which we have in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Yeah, the melody, uh, can you get Matthew six ten through 13? Yeah, so it's your kingdom come, your will be done, right? So that's just a way of reminder, right, that we're not praying into our will. If you're not deeply rooted in Scripture, uh, then you will not know the will of God, and you will be wasting your life, and you will be wasting your breath, inevitably. Right? So um, so what is the will? We kind of talked about this a little bit before. You know, uh, I will talk about uh, maybe a strategic prayer plan, but... Uh, you know, forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation, salvation, deliverance, healing, redemption, and the extension of his liberating lordship. Um, so in those parentheses, I put kind of like, if you understand the way uh, the Lord's ways, you know, and his patterns of bringing people to himself, uh, you know, which starts with uh, conviction, right? You can't actually come to Christ without like some level of conviction of that like, you're not who you were made to be. You're not fulfilling uh, God's purposes for your life, and you're disobedient, uh, and you're breaking his law, right? So, you know, actually praying that people would experience conviction and, like, be rooted in what's uh, actually convicting, like that people's consciences would be restored and they wouldn't feel guilty for, like, you know, homeless cats on the east side or something, <laughs> but feel like, and feel like, guilt and like man I really want to save them I really want to help them uh, but like conviction of sin like conviction of like I have like sinned against a holy God and I need a savior like those are the like you know starting with conviction uh, repentance and renunciation um, then towards you know faith and, and trust towards God that like people would actually you know no longer like faith would not longer no longer be like an intellectual assent to people but faith would be like, oh, I'm going to like obey God because he said, because I love him and I want to obey him. And it doesn't matter what I think or say or do. Uh, I don't care if my flesh wants to do that. You know, um, I'm just going to obey Christ because he's Lord. Right. That Christ would actually become Lord instead of just a theoretical savior. Right. So, you know, as you meet with people, uh, you know, you can pray into those things specifically for specific people, I think is a good, uh, and according to the will of God, uh, effective way to pray for people, that they would be, you know, convicted by the law of God. How would I know that coveting is bad unless I read it in the law, right? So uh, that people desire and, and grow a hunger for loving the word, you know, specifically pray that, like, the Lord, like, Lord, please draw in these people. No one comes to the Father unless... Uh, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws them. Like, pray that the Lord would draw people in, that they would open their eyes, that they would no longer, like, be dead and lifeless and blind and deaf, 
uh, that the Lord will awaken their hearts and spirits, right? So uh, we won't pay a lot. We won't do a lot more time on that since we've talked about that. Um, now we did that in like eight minutes. That was pretty good. Uh, one point down. All right, second point. Uh, that's, and that's really the only one. We had a couple, only two scriptures on. We got a lot more. So if everyone has like, you know, a Bible or something ready, because some of these are, like I said, just paraphrased. And I just put notes on here. Uh, if it's only one line, it's because I paraphrased it. And I just want to know uh, sort of what it talks about so that I can kind of keep us on, on topic. So uh, the second point of, or the second key to effective prayer is pray in relation to faith. Uh, which is, you know, forces in opposition to relational, you know, Holy Spirit trust versus control of, uh, you know, what faith is, is uh, faith is like an epistemological statement. Faith is a knowledge statement that I know these things are rooted in reality and I will act a certain way because I know this is real. Right? Just like Hebrews 11.6 says, for it is impossible to please God without faith. For one must first believe that uh uh, he exists. You got to believe that he's real, right? And that he faithfully rewards those who diligently seek him. So you have to come to like a knowledge, a hard rooted, deep within yourself and your mind uh, and everything and within your spirit of that. Like God rewards those who seek him, right? That's a that's a knowledge, but that's what faith is, you know. So uh, where are we at? Sydney, John, fourteen, thirteen, and fourteen. Yeah, um, let's just read a couple of these and then we'll uh, just kind of talk about them. Um, Kyle, you got Hebrews seven twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And on Vesh, uh, John fifteen seventeen. Oh, I'm sorry, John fifteen seven. Did I say seventeen? Yeah. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me, and my word for you. Yeah. So what's uh? I guess let's just put it out there. Like, which one's an actual like biblical faith uh, scenario? Uh, let's just pray, uh, Lord. Uh, there's a. We'll do this. We'll pick on single guys. Uh, Lord, give me a wife, <laughs> right? So uh, this is something you should pray for, uh, right? If you just say, Lord, give me a wife, there's probably more appropriate uh, language. So, um, but let's just use this as, exa- as an example. Uh, so if you pray like, Lord, give me a wife, which one's like an actual biblical uh uh, example of faith in context of prayer. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring me a wife, and then you sit back and you play video games, uh, and you don't grow vocationally, and you stay out of community, uh, and you still continue to pray, like, Lord, give me a wife. That is the will of God, right? That you would get a wife and be fruitful and multiply. You hold God to his word. You intercede. <laughs> Uh, you feel conviction about it. Um, 
And I think this is what the Lord really wants, right? Uh, or, Lord, I pray that you would give me a wife, same prayer, and then you uh, work on growing in maturity. You stay in community and have others point those things out to you. Uh, you do uh, research on what a biblical man and husband should be, and you, by the grace of God, work towards those goals. Uh, and then you ask a girl out, <laughs> which, one's, uh, which one do you think God's going to bless and fulfill? The second one. Which one do you think is actually rooted in faith? The second, one. second one. Why? Because you're actually... Um, a lot of times faith requires practice evangelizing before you actually go out. Yeah, there, I would say all the time that faith, faith uh, requires action. Even if it's like, you know, don't be anxious. Well, if you have faith and trust in God and you're anxious, uh, that's the opposite of faith. And uh, you choose by the grace of God to not be anxious and be thankful, right? Do you have something, John Luke? I was going to say that your works are pretty much the results of your faith or like the effort you're putting into. Yeah. So if we're just putting in, if we're putting in effort, why are we even praying? Is the next, you know, is where our minds go, right? I'm sure all of you thought that. Why am I even praying if I'm... To to yeah, so... Inextricably intertwined. What does that mean, Sam? If any man doesn't follow the law of the church, he's a law of the church, why can't have one without the other? Yeah, well, when we pray, like, Lord, you know, please give me something, you know, you should also... Let's just say on... Let's stick on the topic of uh, a single man looking for a wife. You should also be praying more than, Lord, just please give me a wife. Like, please make me ready for a wife and all these things. Um... So I realize I'm like the worst guy to talk about marriage in the room, uh, uh, situationally, but maybe not, I don't know, Amvesh is probably the best knowledgeably wise. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like the scene in the movie, uh, and it happened. Yeah. Like, uh, um, right. So, like what Sam said about inextricably intertwined, it's a, it's a, you know, kind of these eternal paradoxes that we see in Scripture is, uh, if we don't pray... It won't be done. If we don't go, it won't be done. And if we don't do this together, it won't be done. You can't leave one behind and and exalt one over the other. You should, like as single men, you should be praying for your future wife. You should be, uh, you know, whatever. Prepare. You should be praying and and working towards that. Uh, I was talking to uh, John Gray the other day. Um, that heretic. My struggles with laziness, and he said that uh, he. When he prays about it, he acts out in faith immediately. Because yeah. if, if we pray and then we don't do anything about it, it just makes our prayers empty. That's why I stay away from praying anything I have to do immediately. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't pray about my laziness. I'm just content. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Right, so you know, pray in relation to faith. That's because we have to like establish in our modern culture that like faith is just some intellectual assent. I just believe something, I just pray something, and I heap up prayers, and the Lord's going to answer it magically. Right, that's more mysticism uh, in our our evangelical Christian tenets than anything. Right, uh, so right in relation to faith. Like if you abide in me and my words and my words abide in you, uh, it doesn't say then, but he says, you know, in John fifteen seven. But then he says, ask whatever you wish, right? Abide in me, like that. Like 
and everything that Christ did, abide in him, make your dwelling place, make Christ a dwelling place, uh, which requires action, which requires going, doing, becoming, and then also asking whatever, uh, you know, in his name, and he will, you know, according to his plan and, and pattern, and it will be done. Like, that's a promise. So, um, so there's that aspect of praying in relation to the faith, but I also want to bring out that, uh, which I kind of mentioned a little bit with that Hebrews eleven six passage is like you do have to like act out and walk out like those things you pray for, you should also be seeking for, uh, right? Like what is it? Uh, we got it on here somewhere. I think it's Proverbs sixteen five somewhere probably on the back. Commit your work to the Lord, and then your plans will be established. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's work or way, but. Like, that's kind of a paradox. Like, commit it to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Is it the Lord, or is it you? Yeah, you're great. Uh, your right? It's, well, it's you and the Lord. <laughs> so, um, so that's the first aspect is of, like, you know, acting out and, you know, praying and then uh, working towards and, you know, obtaining, like, the grace of God, right? Just like if we, like, go back and re-listen to or go through the grace series, like, our wrong paradigms of grace is just another idea of like miss low view of mysticism is like the grace of God is just like non-incarnational and mystical and he just delivers it to us. No, he delivers us grace by his word and we have to read it. He delivers grace by his Holy spirit and we have to grow in the Holy spirit. He delivers grace through the church and we have to become members of the church and work in means in relation to the church, right? To obtain that grace and to be, have that grace delivered. So, uh, but also, like, you have to actually really believe with your whole heart, and uh, which would drive your acting out, right? You, he says, whatever you ask, I will do, uh, you know, according to, in his name, in Christ's name. You know, that Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able, right? It doesn't say, therefore Christ is, like, really planning on being able to save, and he's really working on it, and he's uh, working on getting a schedule together to intercede for us once a week or something you know it says no he is able to save uh forever those who draw near to god you know through him and he constantly makes intercession for us right that's another uh god uh god man jesus christ exaltation sovereignty of him that he is able if anybody is able it's him right that's the the faith of foundation of um, of how we should pray, right? So, uh, where is it? It's probably in, I think it's in Luke. Uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief is like, uh, you know, kind of a prayer that we should like, Lord, help us to increase our faith, right? That's probably a key thing. You know, be selfish in your prayers. Uh, I usually start with praying for myself because that's where my thought process is anyways. <laughs> uh, and, you know, praying that like uh, for myself and, you know, I know myself better than anybody else in this room, than I know anybody else in this room. So uh, I know I have a lot more things that I need prayer for than I think you guys need prayer for. <laughs> right? And I hope you all think the same thing according to yourself. Uh, who was I was talking to you about that, about the chief of sinners mm-hmm. uh, idea? Well, that's me. And, and, well, look again. I think it's me. I think I think we can all agree. 
I think we can all agree it's not on Vish. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, all right, let's flip over. Let's flip over to the back. All right, the third key. Third key to effective prayer uh, is humility or brokenness and a contrite spirit. So we're at Adam, uh, Psalm 51 7. Uh, that one actually has the whole verse on there if you just want to read it off the page, but you can read it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And then, uh, Jonathan Garrett, can you read James 4 6 through 10? That's good. Yeah, 6 to 10. I think that's good. Um, and then Daniel, that Proverbs 16, 5. This is out of the ESD. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be sure he will not go unpunished. Yeah, that's a, those are all like, you know, I kind of like the tenets of Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise. That's like a positive, you know, kind of reinforcement of being broken and contrite. Uh, and you humble yourself before the Lord, that James 4. Uh, but that Proverbs is like, I love Proverbs because it's straight to the point. Uh, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. <laughs> so, you know, one of the keys to effective prayer is, uh, which, you know, you'll see that like a lot of these points, like you can kind of like, intermingle them and some of them might be like subsets of the other ones uh, you know and having you know point uh, point five which is E is grace based correct attitudes and motivations you can kind of put this in here but like humility is kind of exalted in that idea in scripture uh, more so than anything else right uh, uh, there's I can't I know it's in Luke uh, the Pharisee the only um parable that Jesus uses which is a direct which is probably something that really happened that isn't like metaphorical when he says like a Pharisee came and prayed heaping up words to himself uh, thanking God that I'm not like that he is not like the other men but uh, there was a was it a, a tax collector or something um, yes. that came and said you know wouldn't even like look up uh, but cast his head down and beat his chest and said have mercy, O oh God, a sinner, right? That type of uh, humility, that brokenness, the, the contriteness of, uh, you know, not exalting yourself, um, you know, is, is, you know, exemplified in Scripture over and over and over. And these are just some that highlight that, right? Um, uh, I think I put it under correct attitudes, <laughs> Uh, uh, which we'll discuss this again, but uh, Proverbs 15.8, uh, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You know, those who aren't like in the, and if you couple that with Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination. Uh, the Lord actually, you know, we're going to look at like when the Lord doesn't hear prayers, like the Lord actually, not because he can't hear, but because he rejects them and won't listen and uh, won't honor uh, you know, and sometimes that's uh, with coming with a haughty, proud uh, spirit, you know, which, if you think about it, negates that you're probably not praying according to the will of God. <laughs> uh, 
if you know that you're, uh, uh, like I've prayed in anger against people before, and I'm like, man, I'm like, man, like that was really like, I know the Lord didn't just hear that, but like he was probably a little frustrated with that one. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, having a spirit of, uh, you know, that like, who, who the heck are you? <laughs> like, there's, I'm serious, like, who are you? <laughs> To actually like that the Lord would actually listen to your prayers based on anything you've ever done in your life. Like you're of no, like we can't even claim with Paul, like that we were like born of noble descent. Although I think John Luke can actually. <laughs> Wasn't your grandfather a prince or something? Yes. So, an or just an ambassador. But so not many of us were born from noble. Nanveshi is the Middle East prince of peace. <laughs> uh, um, so not many of us were born of noble descent, you know, as Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, like, none of us actually have, like, anything to be proud of. Like, all, all pride is, like, uh, wrongly rooted and you're largely deceived. Even if it's to suppose, like, when you think about the nature of God's grace, uh, you know, rightly rooted, even if you become something, even if you become, like, a teacher or a shepherd or an elder or something... Uh, you still can't claim anything based on all you can do is boast in the Lord. So, you know, that's something to constantly be aware of, like, as you pray. Uh, you know, and even, uh, you know, I'm going to probably butcher this, uh, but is it uh, David that prays that, like, let others, don't let others sin, you know, because of me? Uh, John, can you quote it better? Uh, or, you know, someone finds it, but, you know, even if you become like a king of Israel, uh, you know, to still have a humble heart that says, like, don't let others stumble, you know, because of me, is a uh, pretty humble, you know, example of, of prayer, um, you know, given, given David's life and his exaltation in, in, in Israel. So, uh, not just having that like deep in your spirit and praying for that, but to have an effective approach to prayer of, uh, you know, in means of prayer, like that's what praise and worship is. But, you know, praying in such a manner uh, out of your spirit that, you know, gives more light to God's grace and keeping a, a humble spirit is going to be key. Um, you know, especially if when you think about like interceding and in precatory prayers, uh, those become, you know, humility becomes exceedingly more necessary uh, because if God does raise not just an individual but a community up, it's very easy to become proud and it's very easy uh, to destroy everything that God has uh, graced any individual or community with. Do you find that yet? Um, Got an eye. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. What was the last part? Uh, okay. Uh, let not those uh, be put to shame, you know, because of me. Uh, does that say that's a Psalm of David? Psalm 69. Okay. All right. 
So, you know, continuing to pray into, if you're going to do, uh, be selfish in your prayers, you know, praying for a humble spirit and uh, presenting your prayers in a broken and contrite way is uh, uh, very important. Um, I'm trying to think of, who was it? I think it's Bob Mumford. Very good book, if anyone struggles with, does anybody struggle with pride? Probably not anybody in this room. <laughs> uh, is anybody too proud to rise, raise their hand? Uh, um, Bob Mumford uh, wrote a very, I'm trying to think of the name, um, Handling God's Glory. That's what it's called. It's like 30 pages. I've got a copy. A uh, very good book on just like practically how to stay humble and uh, things to meditate on. Handling God's Glory by Bob Mumford. I think I found it on Amazon for like four bucks. It's very short. All right, so let's move on to, I wish I would have put these in numbers instead of letters. D, uh, which is point four. Yeah, well, it's hard for me to think on my feet. Uh, uh, fourth point, harmonious relationships uh, in the local church and the body of Christ in families and all. Um, so we're at Sam Wante, you want to read Matthew 18, 18 through 20. Uh, Byron, can you read Matthew 6, 12 through 15? And then the big one, uh, Daniel, uh, can you read 1 Peter 3, 7? All right, what's that in the context of? Does anybody know? Matthew 18. Yeah, so there's got to be a harmonious relationship uh, within the church because the third step of that is bring it into the church, right? Make it known to the church and cast them out as a tax collector is what it says, or treat them as a tax collector. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, then it comes, whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. Whatever you bind in heaven will have been bound on earth. Whenever two of you agree on anything, it is done for you. Right. All right, where are we at? Uh, Matthew six, twelve through fifteen. All right. So we see that uh, working in a context of harmonious. Like, if you forgive others, the Lord will forgive you. You know, that's a, a process of not saying that you have to forgive in order to receive forgiveness, but out of the Lord's forgiveness, we will live in a harmonious way. We'll see, uh, you know, the model of the Lord's Prayer of your kingdom come. You know, hallowed be your name. You know, I was working up in the prayer. Uh, you know, God being exalted and glorified in those harmonious relationships based out of forgiveness and uh, uh, of one another mutually, right? All right, here's the big one that really comes to the point. First uh, Peter 3, 7, or really emphasizes the point. You got that, Daniel? Yeah. Can you get that one? Yeah. So, uh, for husbands, what will hinder your prayers? Not honoring your wives. Not honoring your wives and living with them in an understanding way, as the ESV, what's it say in the, in a knowledgeable way in the King James? 
or new king? Knowledgeable way? Does it say you're living with them in a knowledgeable way? Isn't God male or female? I mean, have you ever heard that before? Yeah. So what's it say in the First Peter 3 that says live with your wives in an understanding right. way? Or? According to knowledge, right? So live with them in an understanding way. Right? So if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, your prayers will be hindered. Right? That's... Uh, if you need like any, if you uh, need selfish motivation to forgot to hear your prayers and answer them, then live with your wife in an understanding way, <laughs> right? But this applies, you know, I think this principle applies to um, uh, all relationships. I think God honors that. Uh, I think we can understand that First Peter three seven not just as like a legalistic way, not just in like legality as of like oh. Uh, I want my prayers to be answered, and I've really been praying for a uh, for a raise at work. Uh, so I better live with my wife in an understanding way, right? That's more of like a legalistic, self-motivated, individualistic kind of thinking process, right? Uh, but what it's getting at is, you know, the like be the model of Christ. Live with your the weaker vessel, says in an understanding way, so that your prayers won't be hindered, like. Um, don't be harsh in, with them because Christ wasn't harsh with you, right? It's saying, like, rightly understand the grace of God, like how much Christ has put up with your, uh, if I can say in this context, put up with your crap. <laughs> so you can put up with other people's craps, not just in the context of a husband-wife relationship, uh, but I put on there, you know, also Ephesians uh, 6, 1 through 3 of, you know, uh, children, uh, obey your parents as in the Lord, right? Uh, Hebrews... Thirteen, seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are the ones that watch over your souls. And let them do this uh, with joy, not with contentment. <laughs> right. So that's so Hebrews thirteen seventeen is clearly talking about uh, spiritual elders, overseers, uh, people who watch over your souls, not just uh, uh, not just like your boss or something. Right. Although. I'm blessed to have a boss that watches over my soul, but I don't know if uh, Josiah and Daniel's bosses are watching over their souls. <laughs> I'll tell you a story about my boss later. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> you know, so, because one of the things that, because God is sovereign, right, and he puts, you know, especially in the realm of you being submissive to authority, whatever that authority is in the workplace, in the, in the home, uh, in the church, or in the government, is because God is sovereign and he's implemented that authority over you for your good. Sometimes it's for discipline. Uh, you know, sometimes you get a, a government that is ungodly and, and wicked because you're being, not maybe not individually, but as a culture, being disciplined. But you still have to submit to them, right? So you still, like, I don't expect for me to be blessed by God if I don't pay my taxes because Romans 13 clearly says, pay your taxes. That's the one verse that, like, my flesh is like, oh, I hate that. <laughs> like, are we sure that wasn't, like, added? Added later or something? Are we sure that, like, King James didn't do that or whoever that was? Uh, are, we are we sure Obama didn't do it? Something? I don't know. Uh, how could we know? Uh, right? Like, I don't expect, like, if you don't, uh, follow God's designation and pattern of obedience and submission because of faith in him, 
he's not going to bless you. He's not going to, he's not actually going to hear your prayers. Uh, and I think that's what the heart of this, um, First uh, Peter three seven is even though the husband's not submitting to the wife, he's saying live with them in an understanding way, in mutual respect and knowledge, in a non contentious way, in a not hard way. Don't be an authoritarian over them, or else God, uh, or else your prayers will be hindered. Right. So um, that's like a huge thing to think about. Uh, let's look at Psalm one thirty three. Uh, John Luke, can you read all of Psalm one thirty three? It's a whole three verses. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Yeah, so these are like, uh, in the middle there's that parenthetical statement of what uh, dwelling together is like. It's like precious oils on the head, running down the beard of Aaron, uh, all the way down to the robes. It's like the Deuteronomy. So if you read just like verse 1 in the last part of verse 3, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Then jumping down to the last statement, for from, uh, for from the Lord, oh, I'm sorry, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So actually within dwelling in unity with one another uh, in every context, right, uh, that actually the Lord commands the blessing and honors uh, prayers and, and and hears his people when they dwell together in unity. Right? That's why like it says go and reconcile with your brother before you uh, you know come to the table uh, because the Lord's not going to like like bless you even in the grace that comes through communion unless you reconcile with your brother. <laughs> right? Come and reconcile with your brother and then bring your gift to the offering or your offering to the table. Right? All right, let's move on to point five. Does that make sense for everybody? All right? All right, point five. Uh, Grace-based correct attitudes and motivations. Uh, I should have put like a backslash like righteousness instead of a dash. Um, because righteousness, you know, your uh, sanctification, your increasing outworking of God's grace in your life and increasing obedience uh, comes from your inward attitudes and motivations. So, uh, where are we at, Jane? Can you read Matthew 6, 5 through 6? And then, uh, and since you're also there, uh, so Ma- Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 6, then also 16 to 18. And then, Amber, can you read Psalm 66, uh, 10 through 20? Yeah, go ahead. We'll kind of split these up into a couple different sections. Yeah. So I've actually heard someone use uh, Matthew six, that five through six or five through eight, uh, as why they won't pray with other people. Uh, so why is that? Like, like so I've, I've actually heard someone argue. That like they won't they won't do corporate prayer they won't pray with other people because of that verse go into your secret into your closet and pray in private why is that why is that wrong? But that could be like two of you guys asking private. 
the testimony in Acts about the church praying together, literally together, yeah. in the same room. Yeah, there's like tons of like, it's overwhelming evidence that like Jesus prayed corporately all the time. Uh, John 17. We wouldn't have John 17 unless someone else was there. <laughs> and the verse is somewhat uh, to just like after the open in front of people when you first start praying. Yeah, the first thing is like don't do it out of a wrong motivation to get praise and have a humble heart and don't heap up empty words, but out of a humble. Uh, contrite, proper motivation in glorifying God and seeing his purposes enacted on earth, uh, you know, don't do it for others to see you, right? Don't be like the Pharisees. Um, also, if you're going to press that out, then you have to also not let anyone else ever know that you're giving, which is impossible because the person who you're giving to will almost always know that you're giving to them. That's true. That's why you just don't give, right? that. <laughs> 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 It's better for you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So let's read that uh, Psalm 66, 10 through 20. Uh, it's a little bit lengthier, but uh, try to stay with it. Yeah, he says, like, after all those, like, uh, does it say who the psalmist is? This is probably in the section of David, um, but it might not. So, uh, like, the Lord has, like, caused people to ride over my head. That's a pretty bad day. <laughs> right? Uh, crushed us. Like, and it's not just, like, I am crushed and the wicked are... Like, there's other psalms about that, about, you know, seemingly, like, worse situations than probably any of us have ever been in, uh, whether those really happened or whether they're metaphorical. Um, you know, but like all these things are from the Lord. The Lord calls us. And the psalmist ends by saying, I have not cherished iniquity in my heart. And the Lord has heard my prayers and I've offered my sacrifice. You offer my sacrifice and I didn't cherish iniquity in my heart. Right? You know, it's a, it's a common thing like through, uh, um, you know, tough times to like easily go, like even in, um, you know, because the, your righteousness comes from an outworking from the innermost being outwards to start holding contentment, uh, contentment against God uh, and even making accusations against God in, uh, when people ride over our heads, <laughs> right? When our backs are crusher and suffering situations, not seeing the sovereignty of God, not seeing and being more accusatory and not walking in righteousness and taking... The path of iniquity, right? But the psalmist says, I didn't even cherish iniquity in my heart, so God heard my prayers. You guys see how that like right motivation, that right attitude, the right righteousness and actions led to God hearing the prayers of the sacrifice becoming acceptable to the Lord, you know, and him and then being rewarded from that. Um so let's go to Isaiah fifty nine, one and two. Uh Sam, can you grab that one? All right. The full verse? Or? Yes. Yeah. So the Lord's hand isn't so short that he can't save and his ear dull that he can't hear, but your sins have made a separation between you and your God that he's sitting in his face so that he doesn't hear your prayer. <laughs> uh, so... 
you know, um, looking at that in that Proverbs 29, 28.9 is, I think I got the full thing on there. If one turns away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. In Proverbs 15.8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. That's, you know, the capital H, his delight. Um, and John 9.31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. So, uh, not that we have to become righteous somehow on our own for God to hear our prayers, right? Everything we have is from God. So it's based on the grace of God and the sanctification of God coming from him, you know, by the Holy Spirit in various means. Uh, but, you know, like, those, like, your sins actually do hinder your prayers. Um, you know, uh, not just, like, like constant on like we all sin right we're all sinners so if we're all sinners uh that john nine thirty one, he doesn't listen to us right so god doesn't listen to anybody because we know that all people are sinners but that can't be the case <laughs> uh right so you know i don't want to go as far as as i would say is like those who who live a life of sin uh you know that god doesn't hear their prayers uh though that's you know the case of like you know occurring recurring sins but Know that, uh, like your righteousness, uh, you fighting against sin and making that a high priority in a battle, like does affect uh, whether the Lord honors your prayers. You know, um, whether, uh, you know, the, I guess like the biggest thing that like comes to my mind is like just an example of like if people live an ongoing life or to some degree, whether they're converted or not, of sexual immorality, of struggling. Uh, with lust or an adulterous relationship or pornography or whatever, uh, like I want to, like the Lord's not going to like bless you and honor your prayers if you're ongoing in that life, and that should give you motivation uh, to seek God's grace and righteousness and, and sanctification, right? That shouldn't. You know, well, if God's not going to hear me. I might as well enjoy it. <laughs> then you know you've got the improper attitudes and motivations. <laughs> Right. Well, if God's not going to hear me, uh, you know, why even try? No, like you've obviously missed the point, uh, right? You know, but that should cause us to, uh, uh, you know, seek the Lord in in sanctification of being set from besetting sins, of being free from a life entangled, you know, by the law of sin and death, and be more empowered by grace of the law. Uh, of the spirit of life. You know, as Romans, uh, end of Romans 7 through the beginning of Romans 8 talks about, right? So, um, you know, this is uh, beyond forgiveness towards like obedient discipleship and, and friendship with the Lord. And, uh, you know, because we have like in our Western evangelical culture of like the Lord just like, if you're a Christian, the Lord just like forgives you and it doesn't matter what you do and, uh, he just forgives you, and he doesn't care because <laughs> he he's he just love he just all love. Yeah. He loves. He's going to reward you. And he loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> well, Hebrews twelve has a plan for your life, and he disciplines everyone he loves. <laughs> he chastises every son, uh, and part of that is you know, like we can live as a as a community or an indiv- the individual then community of of Christians with. Uh, improper attitudes, motivations, and stemming into those things, whether it's 
pride or uh, not being charitable or, or hospitable or whatever, not just like in, you know, I think of, you know, big issues like sexual morality or murder or something. Uh, but like, we have to continually like seek the Lord for right motivations to be set for free from sin uh, so that we can have an honoring prayer life to enact his role, which is part of being free from sin, right? You know, just look at the blessings of God in Deuteronomy 28, uh, which is not as much as the curses of God in Deuteronomy 28, but it's a shorter list. Um, you know, just because I, I recently read Deuteronomy and went through it, and uh, one of those things, because uh, I was on the mindset of, you know, economy, is that, like, when you are obedient to God, not just because you know the law of God and you know how to handle money, it's not a pragmatic and practical thing, it's the Lord really does bless you monetarily, um, which this goes into the next point, uh, you know, when you're obedient to God. You know, Deuteronomy, one of the points it makes in Deuteronomy 28 is that you will become, if you're obedient to God, you will become the lender and you will borrow no more. That's a pretty good, <laughs> uh, I guess, without, without a love for money, that's a pretty good motivation, right? But it says when you disobey God, uh, you will become the borrower uh, and no longer the lender, right? That's one of the uh, curses it, it names for those who are disobedient. So uh, you could know more or less how much a community of people or individuals is one piece of fruit is whether they're more of the lenders than the borrowers. Uh, and look at all those other things in Deuteronomy 28. All right, let's move on to the sixth point, uh, which is practicing grace-based principles of faithfulness. So we're going to, again, have like two aspects of that. There's the character of God based on his faithfulness. Pray towards that in one of the keys, but also then us as stewards. So uh, let's handle the character of God first. Uh, where are we at? Austin, can you read Malachi 3, 7 through 12? And then uh, Josiah, Philippians 1, 6. We'll talk a little bit about the Psalm 117 principle in somewhere. Says the Lord of hosts, And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So uh, as far as I know, that's the only time uh, the Lord says, put me to the test and see what happens. Right, with the tithe, the full tithe. Uh, you know, since we were talking about economy and money. All right, go ahead, Josiah. Uh, Philippians 1, 6, CSV. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, you know, one of the first, you know, part of this principle of, you know, effective <laughs> prayer is based on the faithfulness of God. You know, I take, uh, so Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm, uh, and it's all about God's uh, covenant faithfulness or um, steadfast love and faithfulness uh, and that the whole world's going to know. Uh, and I figure uh, it's so short because you don't need to talk a lot about it, right? Um, same thing with like Psalm 119, only in the opposite emphasis of uh, Psalm 119 is all about the word of God, and it's so important you can talk all about it. <laughs> uh, so looking at two bookends um, but you know uh, the Lord's faithfulness is a key uh, attribute throughout all of scripture but uh, it says his faithfulness endures forever which is kind of redundant because if 
uh, God is faithful, he's faithful forever. But the psalmist makes a point to say that his faithfulness endures forever. So, you know, praying things according to the faithfulness of God, uh, you know, is part of, uh, you know, looking back to the means of, like, holding God to his word. Like, you said, uh, Lord, you will bring me to completion, right, that you are faithful to bring me to completion uh, in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I trust in you, and I'm going to pray towards that, right? And, uh, you know, praying according to God's character and God's... Uh, God's attributes, right? But then the second part is uh, stewardship, that we have to be faithful. So we're going to jump back to Teresa. Uh, if you read Luke 16, 10 through 12, um, and then Melody, can you read Luke twelve forty eight? And then that's all the readings we're going to have to, you guys get picked on twice. Sweet. All right. You said Luke. Right, either one of you can go first. Doesn't matter. Yeah, so whoever is entrusted with much, much is required. Right? All right, Luke 16, 10 through 12. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Who will give you that which is your own? Yeah, so we have to actually be faithful in, if we believe uh, that the Lord's given us anything, we're then stewards of that. Uh, which comes out in First uh, Corinthians four, one that second one down, the second or the last verse. Uh, this is how one ought to. This is how we should be regarded as servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, or I think the ESV actually says like trustworthy. So, uh, if you're given any insight into the mystery of God through Scripture, through any insight, you are then held accountable and to be faithful to that, right? Uh, so, we should be praying not just on, based on the character of God, but also in relation to that we are stewards of that. Uh, so, if anyone uh, has been converted, so to speak, from a lower view of... Uh, God's effectiveness on the earth and through scripture maybe you can just read Psalm 117 uh, of God's faithfulness that all nations will come and praise him uh, and if you've been changed to the theological term called post-millennialism that God's glory will cover the earth as the waters covers the sea before the second coming of Christ through the proclamation of the gospel and uh, people receiving Christ and every area of the earth uh, until Christ comes back, then you are then uh, accountable to be faithfully praying towards that. And you should be praying towards that uh, all the time. Uh, if not, then you kind of wasted uh, the mysteries of God the, and no longer being a good steward, right? So that's why that's huge. Second um, Corinthians 4, 1, Therefore, since we have this mystery, ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, right? Based on the character of God, we have this ministry, Paul says, of apostles to you, this apostleship. Uh, therefore, we don't lose heart. We can remain faithful. We can remain steadfast because we know it's based on the character of God. We can continue to, to seek it, pursue it, pray it, uh, work, be co-workers with God himself uh, through this. All right. All right. Last principle. 
practice perseverance and patience. How many people have like prayed one thing one time and said, well, it didn't happen immediately. I think I'm going to give up. I have. <laughs> uh, how many people would say that they give up uh, in prayer too early? <laughs> I think that's probably everybody, right? Um, uh, you know, the Luke's passage in the, or the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, you know, talks about uh, the Lord then gives uh, a parable of someone who like comes knocking on their door at midnight and he says like the friend isn't going to answer the door because his friend is there. He's going to answer the door because he won't stop knocking. <laughs> He's going to even make excuses like I'm already in bed and my children are in bed. Come back. <laughs> Anybody ever come over late at night and annoy you? <laughs> oh, that's been me. You could... Right, and the more persistent you are, the more they're going to get up and answer the door, and you know. So it's like the Lord is making a point to say, like the, the one that's persistent, the one that's, you know, because as the ESV says, because of his impudence, of he won't stop, and he's like, he's not just knocking, he's like, hey, 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 I know you're in there. Where else would you be? It's late at night. Right? He's saying, like, continue to pray. And that's, like, based on the Lord's prayer of, like, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, glorifying God, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm obviously skipping around the Lord's prayer. Um, you know, and he says the same thing uh, in accordance to justice in Luke 18 of the persistent widow who uh, continues to bug, to bug the judge uh, of justice. Uh, <laughs> that kind of rhymes. <laughs> bug the judge on uh, on justice, right? And it's because of her persistence in coming to the judge and asking for justice is why he answered. It's not because he saw... And this was an unrighteous judge. He didn't like actually care about justice. He just wanted her to stop bothering him, right? But the point was not that we're bothering the Lord, but that to be persistent in prayer, persistent in seeking the Lord uh, to not stop to wait uh, and be patient. Right to actively to wait on the Lord is to not what we would think of just be like mysticism or wait and he'll do it pray once he hears us and we'll have it right he calls us also to persist in prayer you know and Joe that just uh, uh, didn't want to read all these just because we're low on time Second Kings thirteen fourteen through nineteen you know Joash fails to persist uh, I think it's uh, Who's it, Elijah? Yeah, it's Elijah who goes to Josh and says, uh, I think he's striking down the Syrians or something, or the Assyrians. Uh, and he says, like, strike the ground, you know, and according, and you'll break them down. And Josh strikes the ground three times. And Elijah's like, you should have struck, struck the ground five times, <laughs> seven times or something, uh, until it was complete. But because you didn't, uh, you won't bring them to complete destruction, right? You have to persist. We actually... Uh, pray the things until they're uh, until they come into existence until the until the Lord honors them, they come into life and they're incarnate. Right, uh, Count Zinzendorf of the uh, Moravians uh, started a hundred year uh, prayer meeting, and I don't think they were like out to just like ho homely like pray until uh, you know just pray a couple things and and go home. Uh, they're going to continue to pray for those things until 
until the Lord honored them, right? According to the will of God. Uh, we should be the same way. Um, if we're given, you know, whoever is given much, much is required, and every steward must be faithful, uh, what we've been entrusted with, just personally, of, uh, you know, looking to bear fruit that remains and restoring biblical patterns of evangelism and discipleship, we need to persist in prayer. Like, I love that Josiah put together an all-night prayer meeting, uh, but we should be doing that, like, you know, every month or something, or every, <laughs> as much as we can. Once a week. Uh, once a week. <laughs> three times a week. Uh, but, you know, that should become, like, a daily incorporated life of not just in individuals, but a community. I'm, not, I'm very, actually, happy with, like, the, the prayer efforts, I guess you could say, we have, like, in, uh, you know, between, like, Friday nights, Sunday morning, you know, uh, Sam Sam Jinpoon leads worship and prayer on Sunday mornings uh, at the church at 8.15 or 8.30. 8.30, be there at 8.15. If you, came up, if you show up at 8.30, you're late because uh, you're going to have to get your coffee and you're going to have to get and everything, right? So, uh, you know, in the single brothers, all the single brothers' households have prayer meetings and... Uh, multiple times a week and the single sisters household does and uh but we should still excel all the more we need more prayer we really need to rely on god to incarnate uh the things that you know we believe he's envisioned them with and uh you know everything that happens you know um in scripture is happening through prayer so we need to be persistent so just to answer uh, this short little section um, on the end, we, ha- we put uh, some pertinent questions. Uh, hint, all, it's not a hint, it's the answer. <laughs> all three answers uh, are both and, not either or. So should we pray, should we have a prayer list or a spontaneous leading of the Holy Spirit? Well, Sam Ramonte yeah, would say the answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, prayer lists are great because it does give you uh, it's easy to, like, number one, it's really hard to persist in prayer for certain things without a list to be continually reminded. Um, and it's also uh, because of our, you know, sin nature or whatever, uh, that we forget about how faithful God is and how much he really does hear us and how much he does really honor our prayers. Prayer lists, you know, say, like, oh, look what, like, look at all these things we've been praying and look how they have come into fruition and how God answered those prayers and how... Uh, you know, as a, as a source of encouragement. But should we also be spontaneously praying by the Holy Spirit? Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, Proverbs 16.3, uh, I was wrong on the reference. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Right? Commit is that, and it really means to like roll a rock, to roll all the weight and burden uh, to the Lord and your plans will be established. So should we have pre-written prayers or spontaneous leading of the Holy Spirit? Sam Wante? The answer is yes. Uh, uh, what is it? The something is it a Puritan's book of common prayers? It's been a historically really good one. Uh, I pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, especially with my kids, before every meal. That doesn't mean I do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it is, you know, frequently, you know, a point of reference, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that's why every catechism is based off of the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the creeds. Um, 
you know, but uh, other people's prayers are okay and should be referenced frequently, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean you can't have like the right motive. You can have the right motivations, the right heart, the right humility, everything, the right everything behind someone else's prayers. And historically, they've uh, been used in the church. Uh, we use them. It's called a benediction. Right? Yeah. Uh, our benediction is uh, prayer and calling. Yeah. Well, Jason, pre you could you could watch in the back. He pre-writes them, and a lot of times it's quoting scripture and, and the sermon. Uh, but he pre-writes them. He is not led by the Holy Spirit in the moment. Uh, and then lastly, uh, pray in tongues or an understood language. Sam Monte. The answer is yes. First uh, Corinthians fourteen, you know, obviously talks about praying in tongues, uh, but being incomprehensible uh, even to yourself. What's the outcome? Then you'll pray in your mind and you'll pray in your spirit also, right? So, uh, you know, the same. I can't remember what verse it is. It's in First Corinthians fourteen, where Paul says, you know, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more often. Uh, does he more often than any of you? Or than you than y'all you all, uh, and I uh, would hope that you guys regularly pray in tongues, not just to build yourself up, but that the Spirit would intercede on ways that are not comprehensible or even understandable to our finite human minds. But uh, praying as many other languages as you can, also Sam Chinprun and Anvesh probably can pray in more languages known languages than, than anybody else in the room. Three or four, right? Three. All right. So, uh, with that, somebody want to close us in prayer, and then um, I'm going to go over what we're going to do for the next two weeks real quick. Austin, you want to close us in prayer? Absolutely. That'd be great. <laughs>